Welcome to the Creative City Network of Canada podcast mini-series, where we explore the topics and conversations that connect and support cultural leadership, celebrate cultural excellence, and nurture cultural development in local communities throughout Canada. I'm your host, Anita Latham. Today I'm speaking with Mr. Ernesto Otone, Assistant Director General for Culture for UNESCO. Prior to this position, Mr. Otone served as Chile's first Minister of Culture, Arts and Heritage from 2015 to 2018. As Minister of Culture, he created Department of First Peoples, a Migrants Unit, and strengthened copyright laws and heritage protection. During this time, he also chaired the Regional Centre for the Promotion of Books in Latin America and the Caribbean. Welcome, Mr. Otone. Thank you so much. Uh, it's really great to have me invited for this pod- podcast session. It's absolutely wonderful, wonderful to have you join us for this. You say, your job sounds like it's an amazing job. Um, and I can imagine during this time that we're all living through, extremely busy as well, trying to focus on some things. Um, on the UNESCO website, um, in the discussion around cities as platforms for bringing urban stakeholders together in the discussion of future cities, uh, you know, it mentions that people need culture now absolutely more than ever. From your perspective, can you discuss the importance of culture and the creative sector fostering resiliency in our communities going forward? And what does this look like from a UNESCO international and uh, Canadian perspective? It's a big question, really, isn't it? It's a large question, you know. <laughs> uh, but now we, we, we're going to try to be very synthetic. Yeah. Uh, First of all, it's important to understand that the COVID-19 crisis, as everybody is mentioning, has drastically impacted the culture sector around the world. We are touching it every day, and we witnessed, uh, as you know, closures of heritage sites, museums, theaters, all uh, cultural uh, spaces and institutions. So the funding for cultural and creative institutions were either halted or sites down. And it has also resulted in, and that's the most difficult, in jobs being lost all mm. across the world. That's yeah. the first time that we have so a, a global challenge. Many artists and practitioners are now unable to make and submit. So over more than 128 countries has entirely closed down their cultural institution. That's the that's the the measurement that we have in the first wave of the pandemic. Right. The the culture sector is among the sectors that are the most affected. That's yeah. nobody want to recognize this, but uh, it is also has been one of the essential source of resilience and vitality in such a tra- uh, trying circumstances. As we have observed, cities and people around the world turn to culture as a source of comfort. Yes. well-being, and also connection. Yeah. In the last publication that we launched two weeks ago, UNESCO Creative Cities' response to COVID-19, we highlight the various uh, cultural leverage practices undertaken by the cities to not only stimulate and somehow strengthen the sector, but also activate social connections and togetherness among uh, the inhabitants. 
uh, initiative or many, many events organized by UNESCO. Uh, and the most important was this movement that we created, the Resiliat movement, yeah. with more than, uh, right now we are in 100, no, 210 uh, debates around the world in more than 85 countries. It has been a very large access to civil society, and that's the most important, civil society that are working in yeah. the cultural sector, that the ones who are really affected, not only institutions, because in other challenging crises that we are living, it was institution that was brought uh, on the front of, of what's happening. Right now, we are completely uh, speaking about the whole ecosystem yes. of the culture yeah. has been touched. So um, we, we understand that uh, there is a direct relationship between culture and social and psychological well-being. Yes. And I think that that's something new that we, we knew, uh, some of us who are working in this field for more than 25, 30 years. But right now, I think that people are more aware of the significance of what it means, culture, for our daily uh, uh, livelihoods uh, at the end. Yeah, yeah, very much. Um, you, we've certainly seen, like you said, especially in the first wave, the, you know, culture being really a social cohesion thing and, you know, with the people playing on the, on the terraces and singing in apartments and all of those kind of things, you know, it really brought out the need that we had to connect in that kind of level. And um, I was watching an interview that you did the other day. And, you know, as you said, you know, 89% of heritage properties globally have really shut down. And, you know, that's extraordinary. That's just, it, it, it has an extraordinary impact on that level of things. Um, when we think about, you know, this is a unique time in our history. And it is a unique crisis and um, nobody really knows what it's going to look like at the other end at this point. In your opinion, why is it important to ensure that society doesn't simply slip back into the normal? Like you said, culture is now kind of almost more front and present than it's ever been before. So if we slip back to the old normal, it kind of will slide back into the background so why do you think it's important that we keep it front and center the covid 19 pandemic somehow has highlighted various urban issues that city dwellers have faced uh, and that we were talking about before the pandemic yeah. but it has it has uh, shown us that it is increased social inequalities Yes. COVID-19 has disproportionately affected the most vulnerable and marginalized sectors. Yes. And, uh, and the urban, uh, that we call urban poor, were yeah. the most affected, are the most affected right now when we're yes. talking. So localizing urban emergency response and recovery are quite important. Yeah. Not only for this uh, pandemic that we are living, but the preparedness for what could come in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yes, so for city authorities, for example, which tend to be closer to people than national level, this has posed particular challenges to reach the entire population to obtain their cooperation, and that's very important, but also yes. when thinking about solutions for the future. 
And uh, this has affecting the investment in public services. Mm-hmm. The COVID-19 highlighted the importance of, of, of all these public services in cities. But urban residents depend much more on public service. The cultural facilities, the transport, the green spaces, the leisure, than, uh, than those then that are living in rural areas who have been more able to, to not to be so, uh, we say in French, enfermé, uh, very, very indoor. Uh, yes. situation yeah. yeah so uh, i think that the men, many problems uh, that had rapid and unbalanced urban growth are looking right now as an opportunity to reshape the way yeah. that we were discussing all these subjects and the inclusive link interlinkages between cities and the globalized economy the focus yeah. on economy-based urban design and uh, functioning rather than a people-first approach. But when, when you hear today uh, all this speech about building back better, yes. the only way to build back better is with people, with community. Yeah. You yeah, will not nice. achieve it without, to put it in the center, what are the real needs. And the people should be allowed to participate, should be dialogant uh, individuals. So yeah. I, I think that that's what we were trying in the last 10 years since uh, the UNESCO Creative City is, uh, is uh, very important for, for the management of cities as a pillar of, uh, of the sustainability. And now we are additioning one word. It's not only on about sustainability, as you know, we have the 17 goals of the yes. Agenda 2030. It's also about the, re- the resilience capacity of those cities to understand how we learn from the past, how we are able to, to do prevent, uh, preventive measures to understand what we are building. Yeah, and I think, it's, I think you've really highlighted the fact that prior to, the, to COVID, there was very much a conversation around regeneration. And, you know, there was a very, there was a really strong dialogue around regeneration and for the last socioeconomic com- communities within cities, that was kind of the goal. And like you said, uh, COVID-19's really flattened that, um, that dialogue. And now it's, uh, it's about how do we actually make our cities resilient and make every corner of our city resilient so that the the most vulnerable don't get attacked but it's it takes that urban regeneration dialogue onto a whole nother trajectory um, just for our listeners could you explain what the 2013-30 agenda actually is just very quickly now, well, the, that's the goals that has been uh, uh, challenged by the UN system for the member states, for all the governments, to try to achieve this agenda of 2030, that is 17 goals. You can find poverty, education. There is no goal for culture, and that's important to understand. When these goals were put in, you can find culture everywhere, but without mentioning it. So right now with the pandemic, I think that uh, we should reinforce the idea that when you are talking about how to to get out uh, improving education for all, uh, and now with learning, uh, distancing learning also education, 
how you ensure that you are uh, uh, putting all these aspects of cultural needs. When we are talking about hate speech, right now I was in a discussion. Uh, well, how you do it? Only by education? No. You have to be facing the diversity of culture and to put it together and show the young generation. I have three little girls and I do it every day when I can to yeah. try to achieve this point. How It's not about acceptance of the other. It's to share with the other. It's to understand where they come from and how uh, you want to, to exchange. And at the end, the goals are this, how we are able to exchange about good practices, about uh, indigenous knowledge that are so important for climate change right now, and not to suppose that there is some magical portion that will give us a solution, because it doesn't exist. Right now, when we are talking, and, and you are using uh, this podcast, uh, what, when we were hearing the, last, the first um, months of the, conf of the first wave of confinement, that finally digital will be the solution for art. No, it's a mean when you know that 46% of the population in the world doesn't have the access to, to technology because they don't have it. Yeah. For financial issue or for uh, infrastructure. Well, you will not replace anything because half of the, the world will not be able to access by this mean. Yes. So it's not a solution. It's a, it's a tool that we should have ethical uh, regulation, that they should participate in, uh, in the financing of the culture for sure, more than they, they are doing it because they, the content are coming from this sector. Yeah. So the agenda is most global. You will find it. And we have one target, that it's the 11.4, of our urban reshaping or urbanization. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you, you talked about so many things in, in that and in, in what you've just said. And so I just want to kind of pick a couple of things out of that. Um, and I like what you were saying about how critically important it is that culture actually is in every conversation because culture actually, um, you know, I passionately believe culture is the core of who we are um, and it's as important to us as water and food. Um, it matters and it matters. Uh, so when we're thinking about that in, in relation to building resilient um, and sustainable cities, really, and making sure that our culture is sustainable, how do you think uh, are our next steps forward in relation to urban development post-COVID to creating sustainable and resilient cities? Well, I will use a quote from our Director General, Audrey Azoulay, when she mentioned that the global nature of COVID-19 crisis is a call for the international community to reinvest in international cooperation and intergovernmental dialogue. I'm completely uh, agreed with our DG. It means that the COVID-19 pandemic affected smaller cities as much as mega cities, richer yeah. and poorer uh, countries in, as I said, in all uh, regions. So that's why a dedicated program as the platform of cities that in, uh, where I included right now the Creative Cities of Network of UNESCO yeah. should provide countries and city platform of exchange, exchange, exchanges, sorry, yes. but also bring together 
everyone to cooperate as well, to learn from each other within various thematic dimensions. And the, the, the thematic and not something that we are inventing right now. We are talking about education, about culture, about social and natural science, and about communication. And that's the five core elements of the mandate of UNESCO. So yes. we, are, we are right now, this organization, I think, have found their, their, their have re-entered in the mandate that for which it was created after Second World War, uh, World War II. Yes. And to be a specialized agency that can right now work at the local level should give us the opportunity to, to, to find innovative solutions. And uh, in this, uh, in this um, document that we launched, as I said before, yeah. you will find excellent, more than 80 example how my cultural means there was a tackling about covid and how solution in the in the um, in brasilia in santos or in in shenzhen in china there were proposal using culture as a as a as a tool as an enhance to come to innovative solution how to resolve problem that were confronting communities during this uh, pandemic. And when we share this experience with other countries, they can also learn from not only the good experience, but yeah. also the bad experience yeah. and how it's affecting. So, uh, for example, uh, I, I had meetings uh, four months ago with the, the four biggest museum, national museum, in Argentina, in, in Buenos Aires, yes. the capital. And they created a network with the more than 1,022 museums in, in the whole country. Yeah. They never spoke together because the four national museums are somehow, in you know, some level, with, with also all museums in Latin America have financial yeah. issues. Yeah. But they had support, they have subvention, whatever. And right now, they were all closed. So for the first time, they had time to rethink modalities about uh, museography, about loans of, uh, of artworks, yeah. how they can work together. And it was great because at the end, uh, uh, a catastrophe like the one that we are living obliged them to reflect about the dimension and the importance how they're going to present a yeah. new way of working for the communities allowing to work together yeah. and i see the, that's one example i have 100 but i see how institutions that never work together because they were not meant to work because in our, in our normally yeah. was the normally we never saw that it was possible because they have they were private or public or local and at the end when they are confronted to the same situation they have to to fire people. They don't have. They don't can uh, concretize the the planification for the two next years. Yeah. That's 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 the prerogative of culture to rethink society and how we get there. It and is, for educational yeah. system right now, when you see the content, as I said before, for uh, um, distancing uh, learning, yes, you are obliged to put so many cultural contents because you have. 
to put in the context of what we are living, because if you show the reality to our youth, it's catastrophic yeah. at the end. Yeah. How you explain to a six? It's my case. I have a, one of my girl has six years. How yes. you explain pandemic? How you explain that she <laughs> cannot go yeah. to school? That yeah. she has to use mask to 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 <laughs> see. She's learning to learn French, and she doesn't see the mouth of the teacher. Yes, right. You know, it's, yeah. It's a you never imagine this possibility when we were a child. Uh, no. This way of studying. No, so no. we have to find new ways to yeah. rethink and reshape the way that uh, we are doing this. And uh, for, for the cities, it's so important to learn from them at national level, to pick this experience, to put it forward yeah. and to share it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think one of the things is, like you said, we can, there is some wonderful modeling going on out there and your example is a perfect one because, you know, one of the experiences that I'm seeing where I, in the city that I currently live in, in Canada, and, uh, you know, I'm a New Zealander who lives in Canada, which is a little bit of an odd mix, but in the city that I'm in, what I'm seeing is our cultural community all still working independently of each other. And they've all got the same problem happening, but they're not in the room together talking and supporting each other. And you kind of, like you've said, the minute they start doing that, then there's strength in that, there's empowerment in that. And um, they can, there's also that ability when they all get together to go, how do we actually move this forward? And they can almost in some way drive the narrative in the community if they get together. And, you know, your example of the museums is a perfect one where they are driving the narrative moving forward. And, you you know, I, I, like you, when I hear that, think, please don't ever go back to being the separatist operation because this, you know, this way forward is so exciting. And, um, you know, I'm aware that UNESCO has done a UNESCO city platform. And, um, you know, I think it's a great initiative. So, you know, why didn't UNESCO set up the platform, create the platform? Was it a COVID 19 response thing or was it kind of in the pipeline um and you know what's its principal objectives no 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 it's it was not it was created uh, when i arrived two years and a half before yeah. when i discovered at the end because i came to this institution knowing that in the culture sector we had two of these uh, network yep. the creative city and also the historical city of the world heritage and somehow i i was looking that uh, for the for the first uh, World Cities Days, yes, we had four sectors organizing different events. Yeah, it was not online; it was presential. So it was one room, room one, room. Said, but what is happening? Yes. It's not possible to think about cities only with one per one perspective. Yeah. So we proposed to the to the director general how we can enhance all these different. Uh, networks, because you have uh, mega city salience for water and climate, disaster risk reduction and resilience, media and information li literacy cities. You have also the the learning cities and the international coalition for inclusive and sustainable city. And the platform was to bring together more than thousand five hundred cities right. that somehow are 
in part of this intersectorial, interdisciplinary approach. And so that you know, between all these networks, these all programs and network, there was only one in all, all uh, cities that were in each one of the programs. Yeah. And nobody knew. So when we took all these cities, that's Mexico City. Oh, wow. Yes, DFE. And uh, what we are doing right now is a pilot project to showcase how in a city, when you have all these programs, because in the city, uh, at the major levels, yes. it was seven different focal points. The cultural sector speak with one, and you have yeah. uh, changing of authorities of, of, of major, and everything yeah. is, you have to rebuild the, the relationship. <laughs> yeah. And right now, we are doing this experiment to know how can we leverage when you are looking all these uh, different yeah. network working together. Yeah. And we are waiting to have the results to showcase this and to show when you are talking about uh, biodiversity, when you are talking about inclusivity, about learning, about creativity, about innovation. Yeah. It's the only way to understand. We, and, and we are coming back, and, and we'll be very short, but we are coming back uh, at something that I've been trying to lead here with, with the teams, is that when you see, I'm very respectful about, uh, our indigenous, uh, about the indigenous community and the knowledge, yeah. Yeah. but when you see that for one reason, they never, never separated the intangible with the tangible heritage. Yeah. Yeah. It's one. It's one, it's the same coin, on two faces of the coin, but yeah. it's the same coin. Yeah. And I think what the, the city are the same. You yeah. cannot uh, fragment it because you will never be able to understand how complex it is to manage a city with uh, communities that are so different and with some different level of uh, exigence that yeah. you have somehow to give answers. So that was the reason the platform, that right now with a with disaster or with COVID-19, have found yeah. finally a way to give globally, global solutions for the sustainability that we are looking for. Yeah, and, and I think um, like what you're saying really resonates because I, I think everything that we should be doing and even the I would even be so bold as to say some of the current research that we're part of um, needs to be future forming research it needs to have uh, where are we going what direction are we going moving forward in the future and you know so it, it has some of that connection with the intangible and the intangible and like you say they are they are the same thing. They are immersed. They are meshed together. And you, I, I don't see how we can pull them apart because, you know, one, one connects, you know, if someone says, oh, well, I, I felt really, that made me feel really good. It was like, well, if that piece of public art made you feel really good, it's a tangible and intangible and they're together. You can't, you can't separate those two can't things separate. out. No, no. And so moving forward through that is really, really interesting. Um, one of the things I think uh, at present in the cultural sector worldwide and especially in, in Canada uh, is happening and in many of our municipalities in Canada, you know, that we are trying to readdress um, some of the concerns in the museum collections, the memorials, the public art, the street names, the neighbourhoods, 
uh, to ensure that we're telling the true story of the history um, and addressing some of the inequalities uh, in the narrative and the stories and the street names to uh, acknowledge the First Peoples um, and acknowledge the journeys that people have gone on. Um, in April, UNESCO announced support to cultural industries and cultural heritage due to COVID. Um, you know, how does culture and creativity contribute to nurturing social cohesion and inclusiveness and that kind of framework? You touched on that a little bit, but could you expand on it for us? We, we came to the conclusion that if we don't get in touch with the human part of yeah. what we are talking in all in all the matters that we are talking in, in all the subjects, but for sure in in the culture, it's all it's always the human part of the creation that somehow led to uh, the heritage that we don't know yet because we are creating right now at this moment this heritage that is created for next generation. Yeah, but if we don't take the time to acknowledge our past for the construction of what we are doing in a respectful way we will lose momentum yeah. uh, for new generation and right now uh, only only to give you a, a, a new example last week we were celebrating 50 years of the 70 convention about illicit trafficking yeah. of, of cultural goods 50 years of a convention that is ratified by more than 140 uh, member states. Right. The, the campaign that we launched was completely different of what we have done in the past. Because what we wanted to do is to do a plaidoyer, an advocacy, yes. to ensure that the last buyer of uh, an artifact or a cultural goods yes. that he acquired without knowing the provenance yes. is affecting not one people. If it, 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 it was stolen in an archaeological site or whatever it was in a museum, yeah. it's affecting communities because their identity was stolen. Yes. And that is the discussion. It's not the economical value is the symbolic human value yeah. that we are not acknowledging. And when we're talking, and, and one of the, the most, uh, I would say, beautiful experience that we have lived, that I lived when I was minister, but I'm living, is when you receive the restitution yes. of these artifacts that was torn. Yeah. Because it's like, it's... It, it, it's like, uh, well, I don't know for North American, but it's for us, it's the soccer, the football. Yes, when you are yeah. winning something very big, it's the same feeling. Yeah. It's when you see an art of work that it's giving you the understanding of something that it's inimaginable, beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. that's the same thing, recovering from a community, a symbol. Yeah. When you are trying to achieve that people can discover that at the end, it's not the economical value. That's something that is part of the illicit trafficking and there are people that are winning money and yeah. that are using this for other uh, unspeakable uh, yes. things 
like terrorism, that you know very yes. well that during the Syrian and Iraqi process, it was one of the financing of terror. In, yeah, you know, absolutely, in the, well, absolutely. Of, yeah. For buying arms. Yeah. So, but right now, it's more confusing because you have uh, all the digital platforms. Yeah. So it has increased and we have to do this uh, advocacy because it's the only way to ensure that if you buy something, you have to know that uh, the history of this yeah. artifact, of this object. And it's the same in the, in the, in the nature, in, in, in everything that we are doing. To recognize the cultural value is to recognize part of our history. Yeah. And we have to share it with new generation to ensure that uh, we are respecting it, that we are valuing it somehow, that we want to protect it for next generation, not only for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, um, it definitely puts us more in the frame of we are stewards, not owners. Um, and, you know, the, and our stewardship we are accountable for our stewardship, how, you know, yeah. moving forward. And um, when we have something in our hands, we need to be good stewards of what we have and good stewards of the narrative that we're talking around something. And like you say, um, we're stewards on behalf of a community, whatever that community is, whether it's a, you know, First Nations community, a settler community, we are stewards and we need to be mindful of of that as we do our work moving forward. So for those who work in the cultural communities, what opportunities do you believe that they have going forward in the spirit of working as a network? You know, how should they be supporting each other locally and nationally? Well, uh, it's a very complicated question because right now we are only... Um, putting towards all the information that we are receiving. In the yeah. next months, we will have uh, a document that will, uh, from all these experience and all the debates, we'll have a compendium of what are also the proposal of the civil society in the culture sector right. for uh, public policies. So that's very important because I don't have memory of having uh, the opportunity to give voices to the cultural workers yeah. to do this button-up to ensure that uh, our leaders can also receive this information and put it in the policies. Yes. And, and what we see is that we have to differentiate two things. One is, uh, is everything that we knew that was in the new normal, whatever normal yeah. was called, about how we have to reappropriate all uh, cultural organization, museum, whatever uh, you can imagine. And the second is to have a very fair discussion on the digital platforms, how they have to reinvest in, uh, in, in, the, in, this, in those concepts that are somehow created yeah. and that's a discussion that we have not all in all countries have this discussion but when you are receiving this content somebody's creating it yes and they should be part of the solution you cannot continue only to ask uh, in some countries with the benevola or whatever you're asking uh, 
of, uh, of the fundraiser with private sectors. And the other one, the national subvention or local subvention. Yes. You, we all should participate in this value that we are putting in the culture sector and, and to share responsibilities and also share the financing of this because it will become more and more stressing for artists and, uh, and thinkers and creative uh, uh, knowledge to continue to produce without having uh, ensured their livelihoods. Yes. And it's becoming, in some countries, where they don't have social security, where they don't have health care, where they don't have, they are really in the last uh, level of the society right now. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that if we are talking about humanity, you cannot um, leave them uh, aside. Yeah. Yeah, they are exactly. giving hopes for people that did right now not to become crazy because you are more than three, four, five months locked down. Yeah. So please, as society and the city have to play a role. Yeah. Please revalue our creators, revalue our cultural goods, revalue our institution because they are part of the hope of a better or more humanitarian way of uh, of society yeah yeah absolutely um i i want to just touch very quickly before we wrap up on something you mentioned earlier and and that you've just mentioned around um things going digital and um also around you know when we're valuing uh, our artists because some of them you know i have i have a number of friends who are fantastic artists and they're not interested and putting things in a digital platform. And, um, you know, and as you mentioned, there's real digital poverty out there. And that's not only in access, but it's also in knowledge of how to even use the, the digital, even if you do have access to it. Um, you know, I guess what, you know, on top of what you just said, what do you think are also those kind of challenges as, you know, culture is being pushed more and more into a digital platform because of COVID. But like you, like we've mentioned, you know, there's real digital poverty out there. So what do you think are some of um, the challenges and opportunities that we need to focus on as community, um, cultural community workers and, and changing the dialogue and being aware of the digital poverty that exists? Well, th there is always this discussion to know that uh, right now we are looking that uh, making digital content is, uh, is more and more uh, available online. But, uh, and it's help because yes. it's a true. It's yeah. give more diversity, it's got more. But what we see at the same time is at the end, those institution who has the financing possibility who have invested in the past to have ebooks or whatever content they can give it uh, are prevail in uh, the digital uh, space yeah and somehow it is affecting the diversity yes without willing to do so yeah because they they are, they are doing something that we have been asking them for the last 10 years. So they're re really doing what is in the recommendation of museum of the 2015, 
they're doing the job. Yeah. But the problem is that at the same time, if it's not inclusive, if it's not uh, somehow ensuring that all uh, institutions have the same possibility to go there, you will, you will make more poor, um, less uh, rich in content for this diversity that are the same things that we are trying to push. More way of, of understanding the world, more possibility you have not to get in such places where the difference is seen as something bad. Yeah. And we are trying to push to have this. So it's the same when I'm telling you that half of the world doesn't have access. What it means to go digital if half of the world will not yeah. be able to get this content or the digital uh, support? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that's a discussion that we should have. And it's not us to have it alone. It's also with the, the giant of the platforms, with uh, internet uh, regulators with a uh, national level of uh, Ministry of Communication and uh, Technologies, because we have to find solution of how should be these tools accessible to all, and I think all the communities. Yes, thank you for um, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful conversation. There's um, so, so much that we've touched on and so much that we've talked about and you know, we could go back. We could, we could, we could come back and talk again and again. It was just wonderful. I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, is there any kind of other pearl of wisdom you'd like to give us before we, <laughs> before we finish? Is there anything you'd like to add to what we've talked about? Yes. No, there, there is no, not such thing, Anita. <laughs> to be very frank. <laughs> But what I see and, and, and what I have learned over all these years and that right now is coming back to me is that somehow we should be more all the people that are working in cultural sectors and, and have or had in the past some responsibilities to be aware that much of the, 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 the way that we are think, we're thinking that culture or the culture sector will grow and will go in some direction. Yeah. We should be a little bit more um, autocritic and yeah. say it works in a normal uh, situation. But we were never placed or we never had the imagination to try to push it and to strengthen it so much to be sure that we were able to find solution in our global uh, situation of stress. Yeah. And right now is the moment where we should all put us uh, for this reflection to ensure that the next time we will be more prepared. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Bye, Anita. Today's episode of the Creative City Canada podcast has been made possible through a partnership between Creative City Network of Canada and McEwen University, and with the support of the many members of the CCNC. Thank you, Mr. Otone, for sharing your thoughts and your time with us today, and thanks to all of you out there who took the time to listen. Continue the conversation online and see more resources and links from today's guest on the CCNC Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. 
Join us on the Creative City Canada podcast for other interviews with Ken Lum, Chief Curatorial Advisor for Monument Lab, and Nancy Duxbury, Senior Researcher and Coordinator of the City's Cultures and Architecture Research Group at the Centre for Social Studies at the University of Coimbra, Portugal. If you've found this useful and interesting, please comment, share and subscribe. Until then, continue.